scriptures. And so tonight, I'm going to talk about how to study the scriptures. And basically, this is uh, what everybody said last week they wanted to talk about this week. And uh, so, um, that's what we're going to talk about, how to study the scriptures. So, 2 Timothy 2, verse 15 kind of our beginning text, and then we'll get into how to study the Bible and just give you some steps on how to study the Word of God, how to dig into Scripture, find out what God is saying. But here's what 2 Timothy 2.15 says. It says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. Study to show thyself approved. Be diligent, labor to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Here we are commanded as believers to study the word of God. To study, to know the truth of God's word. But not only are we commanded to be diligent and labor to study His Word and to know the truth, we're commanded also to rightly divide, to rightly dissect the Word of God. That means we're to correctly interpret and understand it as we study it. The reality is we're living in days where a lot of people stand up and preach the Word of God, but they're preaching it incorrectly. The fact is, if you get real honest, you can make the Word of God say anything you want to make it say. There's a verse of Scripture that says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. If I leave off the phrase, the fool has said, and just say, there is no God, I can say there is no God. Why? Because I've left off the part the fool has said. You see that? So it's important that you take all the words and keep everything in context. But the reality is for a lot of believers, for a lot of Christians, studying God's Word is a difficult task and that's why a lot of people don't study the Word of God. It's difficult because many times believers don't know how to study the Bible. They can read it, but they don't know how to dig any deeper other than just reading what's there, check off the box and move on. And they don't know how to really kind of mine for the treasure that is there. Some don't study because they think it's difficult and they don't have a theology degree. They don't have a college education and it's only for those who've been called to ministry. That's who God equips to study His Word. Or they may think, I can't study the Word of God because I've got limited resources. I don't have Bible software. I don't have commentaries. And I don't have all of these things at my disposal to really dig into the Word of God. And so tonight I'm going to show you that you can study your Bible and you can understand what God is trying to show you and you can apply it to your life even if you don't have a lot of resources such as commentaries and concordances and word studies and even if you don't have a theological degree. I believe that God gave us His Word because He wants us to know Him and He wants us to know His truth. Amen? And if God gave us His Word, that means we don't have to have a pastor always or a commentary always. We simply have to have the Word of God and the Spirit of God to know what the Bible is saying. And so, we're going to talk about how to study the Word of God. 
But first, I want you to understand there are different ways to study the Bible. You can study the Bible topically. You can start with a topic of interest and you can trace that topic all the way through Scripture to find out what the Bible has to say about that topic. In other words, you can take the subject of love and look up every passage of Scripture, every verse of Scripture to find out what it has to say about love. This will help you gain a fuller understanding of what God has to say about that specific issue. You can do a character study. A character study is also known as a biographical study. Let's say you wanted to study the life of David. Well, you'd look at every reference of Scripture that talks about David to learn as much as you could about the life of David. And you'd just study his life. You can also do a word study. Now here's where commentaries and word study books would come in handy. Especially if you don't know Hebrew or Greek. But this is when you take a specific word in the Bible and you discover every single way that it's used throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. For instance, you could say, I want to study how the term spirit is used in the Bible. And you can find differences between the way it's used in the Old Testament compared to the New Testament. And here's one thing about biblical language. For instance, in the New Testament, uh, in English we say love. We've only got one way to say it. But in Greek, there's four ways to say love. Well, in your English Bible, you don't know that. And so that's where sometimes getting back to original language is important. You find out there's different ways they use the word love. You see, the way God loves is different than the way man loves. And the only way you discover that is by getting into word studies. Now... We're not going to talk about that tonight because if you have limited resources and don't have word study books at your disposal or don't have software, uh, you're going to be limited. But I want to show you a way you can study your Bible tonight to find out what God is saying to you and how you can apply it to your, to your life. But let me just say this. If you do have access to the internet and have a computer or an iPad or that tablet of some sort, there are resources out there online that are free. Uh, you can go to studylight, S-T-U-D-Y-L-I-G-H-T dot org. And there's commentaries on there that are free for you to look up. Uh, there's also blueletterbible.com, I believe it is, that has commentaries and strong concordance where you can look up uh, the meanings of words and all kinds of things available that are free. Uh, years and years ago, you had to have a, a lot of money and a huge library to purchase books where you had to pull everything off the shelf and open up all these books on your desk to study the Word of God. But now you have all these free resources. And so that's just a few ways that you can study the Bible. But I believe one of the most effective and simple approaches to reading and understanding God's Word is what is known as the inductive Bible study method. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. The inductive Bible study method. It only involves three steps, and we're going to walk through those steps tonight. But what's so great about the inductive Bible study method is that it lets you study directly from the Bible. You don't need outside sources. You don't need a bunch of commentaries. In fact, let me say this. When it comes to studying the Bible inductively, I would suggest to you, don't even use a study Bible. Because here's what you're tempted to do. I'm going to read it, but now let me see what they say down here in the study notes. And guess what? You're going to find out what somebody else says about the passage rather than what God wants to say to you through that passage. So start with the Scripture 
and you try to find out what God is saying, and then later on, double check maybe with a study Bible and see if what God's saying to you matches up with what somebody else has said. Does that make sense? Can I tell you why sometimes we go straight to study Bibles and commentaries? And I don't want to be too harsh, but we're lazy. I know. Because I have to teach on Wednesday night and preach on Sunday because I, 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 listen, I know what it's like sometimes to have to prepare. And it's easy sometimes just to get lazy, Sister Mary. And let me go see what so-and-so said. Let me go read this. Let me go read that. Then to really dig down deep and say, Hey God, what are you saying? Because it takes work. It takes time. But when you study the Bible this way, it lets the Word of God speak. You don't have everybody else's voice hollering at you trying to say this is what it means. You take it at face value and you let it speak. It lets you draw the truth directly from the text and lets the text speak for itself. Now here's the key. Before you begin to study your Bible, you want to start with prayer. And here's one great way to pray. Psalm 119, verse 18. Here's what the psalmist said. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. That's a great way to begin your time of study. God, open my eyes that I can see wondrous things from your law. God, just open my eyes that I can see what you want me to see today. You see, prayer is the way Prepare your heart to receive from God. You see, if you want to hear what God has to say to you personally, you've got to enter into two-way communication. Let me say this. In fact, you can write this down. If you want your Bible to talk to you, you've got to spend time in prayer and spend time talking to your Bible. And so, let's get into these steps because I want to take some time to practice what I'm going to give you. So step number one is observation. Observation. What does the text say? What does the text say? And here's the thing. You can't rush observation. In fact, I'll say that much of your time needs to be spent looking at the text, reading it and reading it over and over again, observing the text. Observation teaches you to see what the passage says and it's the basis for accurate interpretation and correct application. Hear what I'm about to say. Before you can understand what a passage means, you need to know what it says. Before you can know what it means, you have to know what it says. Does that make sense? That's not deep. That's not profound. But before you can interpret it, you've got to know what it says. Does that make sense? And so observation is the first and most important step in how to study the Bible. You need to read it and simply see what's there. You can't move past that. If you don't see the words on the paper and read them, you can't go no further. You've got to observe it. And so here's the thing. We want to read it through and think we got it. But sometimes you miss it. And so you've got to go back and read again. 
And so you have to sometimes read repeatedly and look carefully at what it is said and also how it's said. You can't rush through this. And here's the thing. As you read, you've got to interrogate the text. You've, you've got to become a good investigator. You've got to ask questions. In fact, let me, let me say it this way. You've got to ask the five W's and an H. How many know what those are? You've got to ask questions. You see, investigators, before they can ever catch their person, what do they do? They spend a lot of time asking questions. And as I said, if you want your Bible to talk to you, you've got to start talking to it. That's how you find answers. But we want to get in a hurry. I want to read and read and read and check off the box. That's why many times you don't ever hear God speak. Because you don't ever ask it anything. And so, one of the greatest hindrances to Bible study is thinking we already know what a passage teaches because you never ask it anything. Especially when you come to a passage of Scripture that's familiar to you. Think about 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter of love. I already know everything that there is to know about love, preacher. Maybe you don't. Start asking it questions. You might learn something you didn't know was there. John 3.16, I know everything it can ever teach me. Maybe you don't if you'll start asking it questions. Because here's the thing. How many has ever heard a preacher preach a text that you've read many times over and they told you something you didn't know? How do you think they got that? They ask questions. Let me give you the questions. Who is speaking? Who's this about? Who are the main characters? To whom is speaking? You see, that's just as important as who's talking. Let's move on to what? What is the subject or event covered in the chapter? What do you learn about the people, event, or teaching? Let's move on to when. We'll just go down who, what, when. When do the events occur? Or when will something happen to someone in particular? And here's the thing. You just go through this list and you just keep asking all these questions of the text. Where? Where did this happen? Or where will it happen? Where was it said? Why? Why is something being said? Why is something being mentioned? Why would this happen? Why will this happen? Why at that time? Or why did this person? You're just, you're just interrogating the text. How? How will it happen? How is it to be done? How is it illustrated? These are just some questions that you can ask of any passage of Scripture in the Bible. You just interrogate the text. Let me give you some other things to observe. Number two, look for key words. A key word or phrase is one in which when removed leaves the passage void of meaning. In other words, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, if you take love out of it, it don't make any sense. That's a key word. It's repeated over and over and over again. And that's the thing. When you're reading a passage of Scripture, look for something that's repeated over and over again. That's going to give you a key to... That's the subject of the passage. Look for pronouns. He, she, we, they, I, you, it, our. Because they often indicate a change of direction or emphasis. So look for key words. Three, look for list. 
Lists are often additional words used to describe a key word, but are also what is said about someone or something or related thoughts or instructions grouped together. Lists are helpful in the epistles. In other words, if you read Galatians and Ephesians and you read First Peter and you read the letters of John, often you'll find a list there. And, and that's just a great indicator of what's being talked about. First Peter chapter 5, verse 2 and 3 uh, gives us a great example of a list that talks about how an elder is to shepherd a flock. Look at it on the screen. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. And then he gives a list of how to do it. Serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Next verse. Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Shepherd the flock of God. And then he gives a list. That's how you do it. And so if you're studying that passage, how's somebody supposed to be a good elder? He's the shepherd of the flock of God. Well, how does he do it? And you just make a list. And all you're doing, guess what? I hadn't consulted a commentary. I hadn't looked up a concordance. I hadn't looked up either. I've just read the text. I've started making a list. Number four, watch for contrast and comparisons. Contrast and comparisons use highly descriptive language to drive home significant truths and vital lessons. The word pictures they paint make it easier to remember what you have learned. How many know what contrast is? Contrast is a comparison of things that are different or opposite, such as light and darkness or proud and humble. The Bible says we've been brought out of darkness into His marvelous light. That's a contrast. We were once in darkness, but now we've been brought into light. Notice those things. God rejects the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Notice those things. Uh, a comparison, in fact, the word but, let me, let me point this out, the word but often signifies that a contrast is being made. Listen, you, you've got to notice those little words. The little words like but, B-U-T, and for, F-O-R. You've got to notice those little words. Little words like and, A-N-D. Those little words are important. And we read right past them. You've got to notice every word in your Bible because it's important. One little word changes things. It changes the direction completely. And if you get in a hurry, you miss it. A comparison points out similarities and is often indicated by the use of words such as like, as, and as it were. I remember those in school. As, like. Well, it's comparing things. Bible talks about our, our enemy, our adversary. Walks about as a roaring lion. Let's say he is a roaring lion, but he walks about as. Or he's compared to a roaring lion. He's not one. He's just simply compared to one. You've got to pay attention to words. Because there's only one line, the line of the tribe of Judah. Right? Little words are important. Number five, identify terms of conclusion. Wherefore, therefore, for this reason, and finally, are terms of conclusion that usually follow an important thought in order to tell you how to personally apply the teaching. Uh, you have to pay attention to those words. You've heard me say before, anytime you see the word therefore, you need to find out what it's there for. 
Because it usually refers back to what's already been said. That means you've got to go back and get context and, and find out what did he just say. Because he led up to it for some reason. Number six, notice expressions of time. In fact, this is often the most overlooked part of observation. But it's a crucial part of attaining the correct context uh, of when something's going to happen. Time is often directly indicated such as during the rain up, on the tenth day, at the feast of, even such words as then. T-H-E-N. That little word is an indication of time. Or the word after. That's an indication of time. You've got to pay attention to words such as until, when, because they reveal the late relationship of one event to another. You've got to pay attention to these things. Now, before we move on to the next step, these are the fundamentals of observation. And proper observation takes the guesswork out of interpretation and application. Hear me. If you do observation well, it will greatly help you in interpreting. But if you do observation poorly, you'll struggle with interpreting. If you sit down with a passage of Bible and in five minutes you're done observing, you're going to struggle with interpreting. I promise you, if you sit down with a few verses and five minutes later you say, I've got all I can out of it, you're not going to correctly get the interpretation. You've got to spend time writing everything you can down that you see. Every question you can, you've got to write it down. From every angle, you've got to make observation of the text. Can't rush it. So let's move on to step number two. I want to practice a little bit. Interpretation. What does the text mean? Observation leads us to an understanding of what the Word of God says. Interpretation takes us a step further and helps us understand what it means. And when we know what it means, then we can put it into practice in our daily lives. I want to give you uh, some guidelines that will help you with interpretation. Number one, remember that context rules. When it comes to properly interpreting the Bible, you have to remember that context rules. The word context means that which goes with the text. And we should never be guilty of taking Scripture out of its context so that we can make it say what we want it to say. If you take one verse of Scripture and lift it out of its context, you can make it say whatever you want it to say. If, in other words, as we get into our, our text that we're going to practice, Matthew chapter 4 is where we're going to be practicing. Matthew chapter 4 verse 4 tells us, Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If I simply take that one statement, Man shall not live by bread alone, I can take that to talk about God wanting me to prosper. That God doesn't just want me to have bread alone. That God wants me to have steak. God wants me to have wealth. God wants me to have all these great things. But I left off the fact that by every word of God. Why? Because I ripped it out of context. And there's a lot of preachers that do that. Or you got preachers that take a verse of Scripture and they springboard into something totally different than what they read. 
How many have ever heard that? They read a verse of Scripture and then they start talking about this and you look at your Bible and it's like, that's not what he's talking about. Try to stay away from giving individual words meaning that reinterpret sentences and paragraphs. Listen to what I'm about to say. You can answer 75% of your questions about a passage when you read the text. Most of your questions can be answered simply by reading the text. Reading the text involves looking at the near context, the verse immediately before and after, as well as the far context, the paragraph or the chapter that precedes and or follows the passage you're studying. But again, we often don't do this because we get lazy. We want a shortcut. But if you want to find out answers and you want God to speak to you, you've got to dig. You've got to take time. Number two, always seek the full counsel of God's Word. You have Never accept someone's teaching based on one or two verses. Again, make sure that somebody's not taking something out of context. Here's the key. Always let Scripture interpret Scripture. Let other passages in the Bible shed light on the passage you're looking at. That's why a good Bible that has cross-references in it is crucial to studying the Word of God. Again, not a study Bible with notes at the bottom, but a Bible that has references in it. Center column references, sometimes we'll put them at the bottom, but a Bible that has references that can point you to other places in Scripture that'll help give... uh, that will help Scripture interpret Scripture because Scripture is its own best commentary. Number three, Scripture never contradicts Scripture. As I just said, the best interpretation of Scripture is Scripture, so cross-references are useful when it comes to interpretation. We have to remember all Scripture is inspired by God. It's God-breathed, so Scripture will never contradict itself. In other words, if God says one thing here, He will not go over here and say something that contradicts it. You see, this book is truth, and it will always be truth, and it's never going to uh, contradict itself in any way. God will not say something here and then lie over here. It's always going to line up and be in unity. We have to understand that. And so the Bible contains all the truth that we'll ever need for any situation in life. Now, Listen to this. There will be times, however, that you may find it difficult to reconcile two seemingly contradictory truths taught in Scripture. For example, the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. You'll never reconcile them. But they're both in Scripture. I'm going to preach on it Sunday morning talking about election. Probably going to upset some people by the time you leave. But here's the thing. They're both in Scripture. You can't explain it away, but here's the thing. You just have to accept the fact that they're both in Scripture whether or not you understand it. He's God. He can do what He wants to. I have a finite mind. I can't figure Him out. You can't either. And so you just kind of have to stick a pin in it. Okay? I just accept that He's God. And you move on. And that's what you do when you come across things that you don't fully understand. You just kind of submit and say, 
your God. You don't take a stand and try to be forceful with people to say, this is the way it's got to be. No. You just... Let me say this. When two or more truths that are clearly taught the Word of God seem to be in conflict, you just have to understand we're human. And you just have to accept accept that they're both there. And you just humble your heart in faith and believe what God says, even if you can't reconcile it, and even if you can't fully understand it, you just have to understand they're both there. And that's like this Sunday morning. As we get into election, God chooses, but whosoever will can come. I'm going to preach both. Do I understand it? No. But the Bible tells He elects, but whosoever will. They're both there. Can I understand it? No. But they're both in Scripture. Are they not? And so I just leave it at that. When it talks about Him choosing, I preach He chooses. But when it says whosoever will, I'll preach whosoever will. Because they're both there. And I have to be biblical. And we just let Him be God. And I know some people don't like that answer, but you just have to let Him be God. And just say, I don't understand. Number four, let's move on, because I want to get to to the very end, and I want us to work at some things. Don't base your convictions on an obscure passage of Scripture. An obscure passage is one in which the meaning isn't easily understood. Because these passages are difficult to understand even when proper principles of interpretation are used. They shouldn't be used as a basis for establishing doctrine. There's going to be some times that you've worked through it, you've looked at it, you've prayed, and you still come away saying, I don't fully understand it. And at that moment again, you just kind of have to stick a pin in it and say, I don't quite understand it. And you just have to keep praying and saying, Holy Spirit, help me to understand later on. And, and, and prayerfully, maybe He will. Maybe He won't. But you just have to sometimes just leave it. And here's the thing. If you don't understand it at the time you're studying it, back away from it. Maybe it'll come to you later. Maybe it won't. But you leave it. But you don't ever want to try to be guilty of forcing something that's not there. You just leave it. And you don't ever want to try to force a doctrine into something that's not being taught. So you just back away. That's okay. It's okay. Number five, interpret Scripture literally. Listen, I know there's allegory. I know there's different types of literature in the Bible. But hear me, the Bible's not a book of mysticism. God spoke to us so that we would know truth and so we can take the Word of God at face value in its natural, normal sense. And so when you're studying and seeking to interpret Scripture, understand Scripture, look for the clear teaching of Scripture, not a hidden meaning. There's a lot of people out there trying to find some deeper revelation, trying to find Bible codes, and trying to find all of these third layers and fourth layers of Scripture. Just take the Bible at face value. Listen, it can never mean what it never meant. And let me say this, there's only one correct interpretation. That didn't go over so well. 
But there's only one correct interpretation. There's only one correct meaning. There's only one way God intended for us to know what the Bible said. There's only one way. So the fact is, when preachers get up and say this and say this and say this, only one of them can be right or they could all be wrong. But there's only one. Correct meaning. But you interpret the Scripture literally. What does it say? And and, And here's the thing. It can only mean now what it meant back then. It can't change. That makes sense. Number six, begin with the primary meaning of the passage. And I, I just I just rattled that off, but it, it can only mean what it's always meant. Try to understand what the author had in mind when he wrote it. He, he, if he writes to Galatians, if he writes to Ephesians, try to put yourself in their shoes. What did he mean then? Well, that's what it meant. Don't twist verses to support a meaning that isn't clearly taught. And I've seen it, especially in Pentecostal churches. They'll try to take this meant this, and this person represents God, and this person represents the What does it mean? Don't twist it and try to formulate all these different ideas of this and standing for this one, and this is symbolic of this. Just what does it mean? What does it say? What does it mean? Now, let me throw in a little side note here. For observation, I would recommend using a more literal translation. When it comes to making observations and answering questions, use a more literal translation. A King James, New King James, North American Standard, or English Standard Version. You want something that is literal. You want word for word what was inspired. But for interpretation... This is where you want multiple translations. You want to see maybe how they vary in how they worded Scripture. Uh, one, often I'll, I'll use the New Living Translation sometimes when it comes to trying to interpret and see how things get worded differently. Uh, but for just trying to, to make notes and see things, I want to use the King James or New King James. I want something literal for trying to ask questions of the text and see what's there and then... Oftentimes, the, the New Living Translation kind of opens things up for interpreting. It, it kind of gives me an idea of, of, of answering the questions that I've been asking. And so, you, you'll begin to notice things as you begin to compare translations when it comes to interpretation. Number three, application. What does the text mean to me? What does the text mean to me? No matter how much you know about God's Word, if you don't apply what you learn, Scripture will never benefit your life. Think about that. You you can know God's Word, but if you don't apply what you learn, it's no benefit to you. In fact, James tells us that to be a hearer of the Word and not a doer is to deceive yourself. And so that's why application is so vital. Observation and interpretation are the hearing of God's Word but with application, you'll be transformed into Christ's image. And so application is embracing of truth. It's the doing of God's Word. And so look at 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, and righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul says it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. 
So in seeking to apply Scripture to your life, you've got to ask the following questions in light of your observation and interpretation. What does the passage teach? What's, what's the point of the passage? What's maybe the main idea that's trying to be shared? Uh, here's another question. As I've studied this passage, do any errors in my belief or problems with my behavior come to mind? Remembering that God is my Father and I'm His child, what instruction is my Father trying to pass to me, His child? Here's some other questions. Is there a sin to avoid? Is there a lesson to learn? Is there a sin I need to confess? Is there an example to follow? Is there a command to obey? Is there anything I can praise God for? Is there a promise I can claim? These are simply ways you can look at the text and try to apply it to your life. And so as we close and get ready to do some practice, I want to say this. Observation, interpretation, and application lead to transformation. That's the goal of every level of Bible teaching, whether it's an individual's daily devotion or the Sunday morning sermon. The purpose of studying our Bible is spiritual growth. It's not for more information. It's for transformation. God wants you to study your Bible. God wants you to spend time with Him so that you'll grow and become more and more like Jesus. And so now, I want us to put this to practice. I want us to look at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 1 through 4. And then we'll kind of walk through this. All of this should be on the screen. Matthew chapter 4. We'll read it one time. But if you were studying this on your own, I would suggest that you read it multiple times. Read it over and over again. Well, let's look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 4. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights afterward, he was hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So the first step is observation. So, we'll begin the question with the question, who? So who are the characters? And here's what I want, to, want you to note. Write exactly what the text says. Whatever translation that you're using, write exactly what the text says. Well, I've used the New King James, so just go to the next slide. Here's what I've come up with in our observation. These are the characters that I've seen in this text. It mentions the Spirit. Now here's the thing. I didn't put Holy Spirit. Why? Because that's not what the text said. It simply said Spirit. It said Jesus was one of the characters. It mentioned devil. It mentioned tempter. And then when Jesus quoted the Scripture, said not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. So it mentioned God. That's the who question. That's the characters that were mentioned. So second question, we go to what? What do we learn about the characters? Well, let's look at what we learn about Jesus. Well, Jesus is led by the Spirit. Jesus is fasting. Jesus is hungry. He ought to be 40 days, 40 nights, no food. He ought to be... We see that he quoted scripture. Does anybody else have anything just from what we read? We learned about Jesus? Just sticking with the text? 
This is just what I come up with. He quoted scripture. Yeah, led to be tempted. He answered the tempter. Okay, let's go to the next one. What, what we learn about the devil? Well, here, here's the first thing I put. He is the tempter. Because you'll notice that because you, you read the text and it mentions the devil and then it says then the tempter. And you could think, well, are these two people? Are the same people? Well, context, I, in context, I believe it's showing us it's the same person. And so that's where, looking at it, you just come to the conclusion, well, the devil is tempted. And guess what? We've not gone to any commentary. We've not gone to any outside source so far. And guess We've got all this stuff that we're learning just by reading the Scripture and asking questions. He spoke to Jesus. He, now notice this. He waited until Jesus was hungry. The timing of it. He waited until Jesus was vulnerable before He came. And can you see just from, just from these few things how you can start getting Bible lessons and Bible studies and all of this? You, you can do a lesson on Jesus. You can do a lesson on the, uh, on, on the devil and how, how he works. Can't do when he was weak. Well, what's next? What do we learn about the Spirit? He, he led Jesus to the wilderness. But here's, what, here's something else I put. He led Jesus to be tempted. with that, but here's the thing. We, we like it when it leads us beside still waters. What about when it leads you to the wilderness? When it leads you into, a, uh, when it leads you into trials, when it leads you into times and circumstances that you don't really like. But it shows us that He led Jesus to be tested and tried. We ain't going anywhere outside this passage yet, have we? It's all right here. Yeah. Yeah. And see, that's where you get into interpretation where you start going to other Scriptures and cross-referencing stuff. Okay? What are some key words, ideas, or events? Go to the next slide, brother. These are some things I got. Fasting, wilderness, command, Led, it is written. These are some key words that you just find in the text. Number four, when did this happen? When did this happen? Yeah, in the four days and nights. But here's what here here's the thing. I, I got a little tricky. I after his baptism, because notice verse one. It says then. So go to the next slides, the, the Matthew chapter 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? Keep clicking, brother. But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. 
Then he allowed him, verse 16. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus had just been baptized. The Spirit descended upon him. God the Father pronounced, This is my Son. And then the Spirit led him into... Can you see how context is important? That little word then in verse 1 of chapter 4 points to a time frame. And so sometimes you have to backtrack to find out when things happen. Immediately... Basically, after the confirmation of, of God the Father, he gets God's approval. This is my son. And then all of a sudden, he's being tempted and attacked. Because what does, say, what does the tempter say? If you are the son of God. Can you see how important it is now? God just told him, this is my beloved son. And Satan, first thing he says, if you are the son of God. Can you see how the Bible opens up when you start putting it all together? And all we've done is ask questions. Number five, where did this happen? That's the easy one, in the wilderness. Number six, how did this happen? Led by the Spirit. So let's move into to kind of some interpretation. We're getting... Close to our time. What did we learn about Jesus? And, and, and we don't have a lot of time to break things down, but this is kind of the question uh, that we'll focus on as far as interpretation. What did we learn about Jesus? What was one thing we learned? And, and I picked this because there's some other things we could say, but I, I said He was led by the Spirit. So taking that one idea, He was led by the Spirit, what does that mean? Well, it means he follows. He's obedient. He's in a relationship with the Spirit. He's submissive. Think about it. So you can take that and move into application. And ask this question. Is there an example to follow? And here it is. Just as Jesus was led by the Spirit, we should also seek to be led by the Spirit. And see, now the Bible has become real to us. Has it not? And all I've done is ask some questions and solve answers. And now I have something that I can get up and say, Lord, I want to be led by You. Lead me today. Help me to be aware of Your presence and help me to be aware of Your guidance. Because let's look at the next thing. What do we learn about the Spirit? He leads Jesus. He gave Jesus direction. And so how, how can we apply that to us? Well, the Spirit wants to lead and guide us. The Bible tells us, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And so, here's what I ask. I put a question here as application. Am I willing to surrender to the Spirit's name? Because Jesus was submissive. He followed. He's going to the wilderness to be tried and tested, and He submitted. And so, am I willing to surrender to wherever the Spirit may lead me? 
because he wants to lead me, but I've got to be willing to go wherever he leads. Because he might not always lead me to those still waters. He might lead me to a place of testing. And I'm, am I willing to yield and surrender and say, I'll go. Can you see how the Bible just comes alive? No commentaries. No concordance. No outside influences. Just us and the Word of God. And everybody here tonight can do this. With any passage of Scripture, just read it, pray, read it, who, what, when, where, why, how, and you'll seek answers. And once you find answers, is there something for me to do? And then just turn it into a prayer. God, help me do this. We've made Bible study a scary thing that, that only the big shots and the big wigs and the smart people and the educated people can do it. No. You can do it. And again, if you teach Sunday school, if you teach kids, You can teach about Jesus from this passage. You, you, you can teach about the Spirit from this passage. You can teach about the devil from this passage. And if, and if I were going to preach this, I would take the entire text down to about verse, verse 11 and, and, I, and I could talk about how to defeat the enemy from this passage because each time Jesus talked about it is written how to overcome temptation. We could talk about how to be led by the Spirit. And just, just based on what takes place in the text. And it's rooted and grounded in the Bible. Haven't done anything fancy. I let the Bible speak. We can do this. You can do this. That's why, uh, and, and that's the thing. On, on Sunday mornings, when we go through Ephesians and stuff like that, that's basically that's what we do. Done nothing but answer questions from the text, and that's the sermon. So, would you stand with me?